episode four of into the cosmos um today we're going to be discussing synthetic assets and these tokenize rwas which are real world assets just give us a couple of minutes for just getting a few people in places getting some people authorized uh and getting our house in order so just give us a give us a minute or so and then we'll get started thank you i also see some familiar faces in the audience so great to have you guys here <clears throat> like i say bear with us and we'll get started shortly all right, okay, guys. Um, I think we've got a lot of our speakers authorized now. Um, Evmos, just to let you know, if you are listening, I've just sent you a speaker invite. So if you could accept, and we'll get you up here. Oh, actually, I see Jacques is already authorized. Is that because you're speaking from your personal account? Oh, I got that right. Yeah, that's right. I'll be uh, okay. speaking. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That that's great then. So yeah, um, Evmos, accept if you want uh, or not, whatever. Um, cool. Okay, guys. So what we're going to do first is we'll just get started with some quick intros. Um, if all of our speakers can just intro themselves, um, and then we'll kind of move on basically to the first topic, which is um, synthetic assets, feast, tokenized RWAs. So um, I'll start. So my name's Jack. I'm co-host here of uh, Into the Cosmos. I support kinetics with marketing through my role at Lunar Digital Assets, which is a marketing and incubation firm that Rock manages. Um, I'm the chief launch officer there, which means I'm responsible for new product launches. So that's my short intro. Rock, do you want to intro yourself? Sure. Good morning, everyone. I'm Rock Zacharias, co-founder of QuickSwap and CEO of Lunar Digital Assets, which is an incubation and marketing firm uh, responsible for incubating projects you may know of, like Polygon, uh, QuickSwap, Doge Chain and Kinetics. Good to meet you guys. Always great to have your expertise, Rock. Um, you've been around the space a long time, so great to have you on the on the space as always. Um, Appreciate cool. that. Um, I think we should have. Um, I'm just looking for uh, Sean Melch has dropped off. He's now a listener rather than a speaker. So Sean, if you if you're listening, um, we'll try and get you up shortly. I don't know what's going on there, so just bear with us. Um, space is being funny as always. So. Um, Jacques, do you want to start, and then we'll go to whoever's on the Evmos account? Yeah, no, um, I just have the Evmos account just for, for visibility. But uh, I'm Jack, so I joined Evmos not too long ago as their ecosystem growth lead. I've been working as a BD in the space for about five years now, and then before that, I was doing my projects, my own projects. So been around the space um, for about seven, if you count. You know, 2013 when I got into Bitcoin, just grabbed a little bit, did a small project that's like 10 years ago. Um, been working on a lot of decentralized uh, show show, did a lot of onboarding. Uh, I don't know too much about where we're assets. I'm, I'm here to learn today. I know a lot of these uh, great speakers, you know, including our partners like Piff, that's a lot of work in this sector. So I'm really excited to, you know, ask stupid questions, 
but most most importantly, uh, learn about about the space. Well, um, if you're thinking that you've got a question and you might feel stupid for asking <laughs> it, there's probably there's probably a thousand people who are listening at home that would really want to know the answer to that question. So it's always better to ask, right? Sounds good. I'll be doing um, cool. Um, so okay, uh, we've got Crypto Cito here. Nice to see you. Here. It's a, probably a bit late for you, right, in Dubai? GM, GM. Yeah, it's a, it's a 10 p.m. actually now. I think the last weeks were, I think it was a bit later, right? Um, but yeah, now, now it's okay. Um, but yeah, um, content creator, mainly focused on the Cosmos ecosystem and um, also co-founder of Cosmoverse and Stakesuto, also running uh, validator infrastructure. And yeah, I must really say, um, you know, I think, I mean, obviously we've been talking over the past couple of months, but I think this format for the spaces is exactly what we as kind of also the Cosmos community really need, right? Like getting everybody together, just talking, like Jacques was saying, learning from each other, asking questions, right? Because I feel like Cosmos is obviously a, a fragmented ecosystem, but also sometimes, too many times, unnecessary drama. So you guys are the drama resolvers, and I'm happy to be here. Great to have you as always. Um, and yeah, that was that was our kind of vision for this space, right? So uh, I was actually speaking to Sean about this earlier today. It's just, it's like we wanted this to be like an impartial forum for everybody in the Cosmos and the IBC ecosystem and its peripheral ecosystems to come together to speak about the things that people want to learn about, have a bit of education, a little bit of discussion on governance when appropriate, and, you know, like kind of move the ecosystem forward in a positive direction. We also hope that... Um, the Into the Cosmos Twitter Spaces uh, group, which many of you guys as founders and builders and uh, project leads are in, can be used for informal networking as well. Because a lot of you guys will be introduced to each other through that group. And so if you've got a business you want to conduct with each other or you want to follow up on something that you've discussed on the space, we hope that over time that group will evolve into a networking space as well. So, yeah, great to, great to be here and uh, supporting the Cosmos and the IBC ecosystem. Um, and great to have you all. So let's go to Eric. Hey guys, Eric Weissman here. I am the co-founder of AstroVault, which is the premier um, DEX on Archway right now, working on going multi-chain. I also do a lot of uh, rogue tokenomics consulting. I designed Archway's tokenomics. I work with Flappy Birds, a lot of other uh, random groups. So yeah, I'm just in general tokenomics guy. Nice. Um, tokenomics are obviously vital, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to discuss that with you a little later on. Uh, we've got Siddharth here from Comdex. I know you guys over at Comdex have, have been in the kind of synthetic assets and real world asset space for a while with ShipFi and some other products. So yeah, great to have your insights on the space. Welcome, Siddharth. Hey, Jack. Thank you so much for having me here and uh, GM everyone. Uh, just a quick intro on myself. I'm the co-founder of Comdex. And I think as Jack mentioned, you know we've been working on RWAs for, for quite a few years now. Um, Comdex is an RWA DeFi focused uh, chain in the Cosmos ecosystem and yeah, a uh, lot of exciting things on the pipeline and would love to talk a bit more about that, um, you know, further into the spaces, but happy to be here. Awesome. I like your bad kid as well. Really cool. Cool. Um, okay. So we got, uh, Melch or Sean rather. I always call you by your second name, man. I don't know if it's like slightly disrespectful or not, but it's what you, what you put out there. So. Yeah, not, not disrespectful at all. It's, it's part of my last name. So it's a nickname that I respond to for ever since uh, being a kid. So it all works. Um, no, I, I'm excited. I mean, 
being in Cosmos lead gen agency over three years now, uh, a lot, a lot of familiar faces, but I'm excited for these and, and to help, help these grow because uh, like Cito said, it, I think it's a good time and, and the right time to be bringing a lot of people together and, and kind of making the Cosmos uh, cohesive. So excited to do it and, and get more teams in here uh, as, as these continue to roll on. Great to see you, Melch, brother. Awesome. Um, just by the way, guys, just a quick note for any of our speakers or any of the teams that are, are supporting into the Cosmos. If you want to, if you have other teams that want to get involved or you have uh, other members of your team that you want to go up, just add them to the Internet the Cosmos group. And that's the place where they can request topics and kind of want to jump in. So, yeah, that, that's the way to do it. Um, cool. So we got Vincent here, I think from Hover. Yeah. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, Audible. Oh, sweet. Okay. Uh, so I'm Vincent. I'm one of the core contributors for Hover. We are a lending platform at heart, but mostly a yield ecosystem uh, across uh, Cosmos. So pleasure to meet you guys. Great to have you back, Vincent. Uh, we've got uh, Mark here from PIF. Always a pleasure, Mark. Jim, Jim, thanks again for having me. I think it's the third time in a row close. Uh, and thanks also for putting the time a bit earlier also eases my life um and no yeah again happy to be here working for path blockchain oracle live on a bunch of cosmos chains and many other and working alongside the amazing teams at kinetics over tashi and i'm gonna blank on some other names happy to be here yeah great to have you i mean your your expertise with um Synthetic assets and, and real world assets is, is going to be unparalleled, I guess, on the on the price feed side. So it'd be great to have that expertise later on. Um, and also, just a side note for everybody: um, if you are listening or if you're participating, if you want to shout out the space, retweet the space, show the link around, that would be greatly appreciated. It helps us grow. It brings us brings us listeners, and and also makes me feel special. So thank you for that. Anybody that's done it or is planning to do it, cool. Okay, um, we got. Looks like we've got uh, Dave here from API3. Go ahead, Dave. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me on, Jack Rock. It's um, always a pleasure to be on the Cosmos Twitter Spaces. I am working with API3. API3 is an Oracle project. We supply data to Carver Chain, and we have projects like Kinetics building on us. Similarly to, um, to Mark, I'm looking forward to being able to contribute around some of the uses for real-world data in powering protocols, especially when it comes to synthetic assets. Um, and yeah, big fans of Cosmos and the ecosystem. So excited to hear updates from everyone else as well. Awesome. Um, so we've got um, three requests. We're also waiting for somebody from um, Stargaze to show up, who's meant to be on the space today, um, because obviously, you know, a, a lot of the talk around synthetic assets and tokenized real world assets, some people have discussed, um, you know, the uh, like use of NFTs in that space, because obviously some, some real world assets are, are non-fungible. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you are requesting from Stargaze uh, and I've missed your request, just bear with me. We're, we're working on the, the sheet we've got to organize this space to figure out who's meant to be speaking from that side. So, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if we, I think probably we'll, uh, we'll just get into it and then anybody else that, that pops up, we can, we can Real, uh, add as we go. Real quick, Jack, Carter's uh, from the Shade team, and I know he's got some bad Wi-Fi right now, so he may not be able to... To get up but uh yeah he's uh he's a defi giga brain so we'll love to have him up here if we can oh yeah for sure i actually i actually saw him authorized a minute ago but now he's not 
on my side. Um, so Carter, just request, and uh, you're obviously welcome back. Anytime. Carter, definitely um, a giga brain. He's uh, on. I think like maybe two of the last three episodes, he had some really good insights. So, uh, really, some of my favorite insights. Yeah, I think some of the discussion there was was really really interesting. So. Yeah, feel free, Carter, if you request. Um, okay, guys. Um, so to get into this, then um, I guess Sadaf, I'll start with you. So it, I don't know if you want to share. So I, I know you guys. You know, you originally started working on ShipFi, and that was you know tokenized real world assets. And then I remember some of the work you was doing back in twenty two with Comdex, and then you kind of pivoted away to the more synthetic side. So I want to kind of understand a little bit about your journey through. Because you've kind of been on both sides of this, right? So I, I want to understand your journey and then, like learn a little bit about why you made the decisions that you made. So I think that that would be quite insightful for the panel here. For sure. So uh, yeah, you know, we actually started building Comdex back in 2018. Um, you know, I, m- myself, I come from a background in traditional finance. So the first time I learned about crypto and blockchain and everything that the tech stands for, uh, the only use case that like intuitively made sense for me at the time was its application and kind of revolutionizing the way RWAs are owned, you know, they're transacted in and how they're financed. And, and that's what kind of motivated me towards building Comdex. Um, when we started in 2018, of course, the vision was, you know, focused around commodities as an asset and trying to create an economy around it, which, you know, revolutionizes the way um, you know, commodities are traded, the way they're financed. And that was kind of the goal. Um, of course, we launched the first iteration of our platform around 2020 and, you know, had uh, several institutional clients that we onboarded and, and tokenized commodities there. But whatever infrastructure and tech we had available at the time, you know, wasn't sufficient to facilitate the creation of an economy that can support, you know, complementing services like payments and financing. And what we realized is, um, you know, it would be a task for us to start building the infrastructure first before we get into the application part of it. And and that's what kind of drove us towards, you know, becoming more of an infrastructure layer before we started building out the application that was Shipify at the time. Um, in our journey of building out the infrastructure layer, what we found is that a lot of the core structures that you apply, uh, you know, a lot of the core principles that you apply in building a platform that can support RWA financing are pretty much similar to what you can utilize in a lot of the, you know, DeFi, uh, you know, primitives that that kind of exist. So. Of course, seeing the way regulations were at the time and seeing the kind of general lack of openness towards adoption of you know, on-chain assets on, on business balance sheets, we had to kind of uh, shift focus temporarily towards you know, applying our infrastructure on DeFi where it made more sense at the time. Uh, but you know, fast forward now to 2024, um, regulations have definitely improved and there is far more openness now from enterprises and institutions to kind of custodying on-chain assets and you know being able to handle them with with the right kind of regulatory framework in place so it, it, it's kind of the right uh, right timing for us to you know refocus our vision back to what we originally started with uh, you know uh, apply what of the what, whatever infrastructure we've built along the way to kind of come back towards you know being the rwa focused uh, product and chain in the process so that's kind of, you know, broadly what the motivations were behind, uh, you know, the decisions that we took along our way in the journey. So in some sense, it seems like a pivot, but in, in many ways, it's kind of like an extension of the same vision that we've been working on um, from day one itself. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, especially <clears throat> some of the insights you had around um, the regulatory side, I think, definitely since uh, 22, 21, um, things have been clarified. Sometimes I would say, 
for the worse in some jurisdictions. Um, and some of the clarification has not been very clear at all. But I think we're, we're sort of like generally trending in the right direction. Um, just a little update for everybody as well. Um, we're going to have uh, another speaker joining us shortly. Crypto CEO's just stepped down and we're going to be swapping him out for somebody else. Uh, Rushi um, from uh, Movement Labs. Um, so they'll be they'll be contributing in the space. It's just a second. Um, if you can just request again, Rushi, if you're listening, um, had some issue with authorizing you just sent, so I've just cancelled your request. If you can request again, I'll let you up. Um, but yeah, so it's it's great to hear that that insights today are from your side. I think um, the more we can get regulatory clarity, and the more you know, like you know, some of these big funds like um, BlackRock and so on, as you mentioned, um, are starting to move into the space. You know, I heard Larry Fink say recently that. You know, uh, Bitcoin ETF is one part of the process, and tokenizing um, stocks and bonds and everything else is is something that they see in the future. You know, these guys have the power to make this happen, as well as um, as well as just kind of uh, you know, like discussing the trend. So it's really interesting to hear those guys echoing some of the things that I've heard you discuss and and some of the other people on this panel discuss in the past. So yeah. Uh, really interesting. So, Mark from PIF, I don't know what you feel about the regulatory environment around real assets. I know you know many protocols, uh, as Siddharth alluded to, kind of take the synthetic asset route because it's easier to to use price feeds um, and track the price of of real assets rather than actually have tokenized real world assets. So, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. Yeah, I think we've seen like in. Actually, to be fair, like we've seen many perpetual protocol or synthetics protocol launch, um, like and succeed, synthetics, GMX, etc. But very little tackled anything else outside of let's say gold and silver and FX. But with this Bitcoin ETF, like maybe we'll see, like again those type of like USDC or whatever backed um, perpetual product on those. Let's say Bitcoin ETF. Is there like does it bring a big level of innovation? I don't think so, and I'm not sure even crypto people on chain trader would want to trade this or not in big volume. I think the next big step is like more when those regulated products start becoming way more kind of like native to the crypto ethos. Like I think it's. And I'm going to butcher the name, isn't it? Like, I bet that I think daily, like, updates on their website and show their wallets that hold all these assets. So I think first it starts with this. Then it kind of comes from I bet to decide, okay, what if now we would start enabling trading those um, actually backed products, but directly on chain and not just on NYZ or CME or, or wherever. Uh, so I think the biggest evolution we could see would be coming from that end. And I think long term, that's like what we should all hope, because um, even if it's regulated, like, and with the cosmos and even the like modularity kind of, uh, or everything is, is is its own chain, we're gonna see permissioned regulated blockchain. So I wouldn't be shocked if, like, this would be the biggest driver or the biggest adoption or the most positive thing we could we could see 
Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. By the way, guys, um, feel free to jump in if you've got uh, points. You don't have to wait for me to call on you. So, mm. Jax, it looks like you've unmuted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's time for me to ask my stupid questions, I guess. Um, for me, it always does seem to the case that there's going to be a spectrum of blockchains that are more and less permissioned. I think, you know, that's just the way how, you know, assets are naturally generated, right? When you have a company, when you have stocks in, within the company, those individuals basically control that ledger, if you will. And I think with blockchain, you know, you have this truly permissionless platform for you to issue issue these tokens, and that's fantastic. That's something that we never had before. But I do think that, you know, like uh, Mark mentioned, oh, sorry, was it Mark the, that mentioned that? Sorry. Uh, but yeah, we are going to have like these assets that are much more private. So, for example, like Neo Kingdom, a project of ours, they're creating legal frameworks. And one of the first assets they tokenized was this mini disco in Berlin. So like, this is a very small asset. It's a very limited asset. And it doesn't make much sense for, you know, like for that to be, I mean, they're operating on FMOS right now, but as a DAO, right? So if they were going to spin off their own chain, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for that chain to then be completely permissionless. So I don't know. That's just sort of my thought that I wanted to throw out there. Yeah, I think I think there's obviously you know as as the space develops, there's going to be different levels of permissionless and different levels of decentralization as well. And while like a lot of people in this space, uh, decentralization maxes at heart at least. Um, I think the majority of us would admit as well that there's there's times where that's appropriate to be super decentralized and super permissionless. And there's other times where it makes less sense, even if the ideal state is is de- completely decentralized and completely permissionless. Um, you know, and I think I think probably one thing that we're going to have to accept is as the big boys, the Black Rocks of the world, and so on, get involved in this space, it's going to tend towards being less decentralized and less and more permissioned over time. Um, but I think as so long as the heart and the ethos of the industry remains that. Uh, there will always be areas and sectors of it that are that are completely decentralized, and I think that's a really positive thing. And the fact that we can have this discussion and have a spectrum, um, rather than just having in the past, which was you know like the big the big funds of the world uh, and the big money players, they would just dictate, and almost everything was centralized and it was permissioned, and not just permissioned from a, a technical point of view, but also you know there was certain things that you couldn't get access to unless you had, you know, you knew the right people or whatever, if you go back a little further. So the fact that we've, we've moved more in this direction is a really positive thing. I think, um, I'd be interested to get, uh, Dave's opinion. Obviously Dave, you're, um, another data provider, right. In the same way that Piff is. Yeah. So, um, it's, it'd be interesting to see if you kind of, if you're seeing similar things to what Piff is seeing on the data feed side. Um, I just wanted to chime in quickly on the point you're making about decentralization. Um, I mean, I've been in blockchain a long time. I'm a decentralization maxi. But I think even if regulation comes to the space in a way that makes everything less decentralized, the other kind of tenet of blockchain, at least in public blockchains, is transparency. Sorry, is transparency and auditability. Um, and I think that's undervalued, really. Uh, if you have banks that, in the real world, we wonder if banks have sufficient assets to have enough collateral to prevent bank runs. Whereas if you brought that model to blockchain, people could transparently verify that themselves, that they're depositing in a bank that has enough collateral to cover all of its liabilities. So even in the worst case scenario where a lot of decentralization is lost, 
I still see value in the kind of programmability and verifiability of blockchain. And also, I don't think all decentralization will be lost. Um, what was your question, Jack? Sorry. So it's just um, in relation to synthetic assets uh, on the data feed side. So obviously, Mark mentioned some of the insights that he's got from working with Pith on that side, um, whereas you know people are getting data feeds for commodities, and that's becoming you know more popular. Um, I just wanted to wonder. I was just wondering if that's something you guys have seen on API three. I think we are seeing people wanting to look at being able to potentially hedge exposure to or gain exposure to novel assets. There's not as much of that around maybe as I would like to see. Um, I think I would find it interesting if you had a leveraged perp dex where you could trade really exotic assets and indices. And I, I don't see that very often. People seem to want to speculate what? on conventional currencies. If I can just cut in there, what, what would you describe as exotic? Um, just just for the audience. Strange things like, I mean, even even like the price of a Big Mac, it would be a nice one because the, the kind of Big Mac tracker for inflation is quite a quite a universally acknowledged thing. Um, just esoteric things like that. And the problem a lot of the time is is having enough demand for these exotic assets. And I think with blockchain, Adoption will come. Dex is able to serve more interesting um, types of data and allow people to speculate on more interesting assets because there will be a higher base level of demand. So they won't be making this product or this pair that just doesn't get used and ends up being deprecated. If if I could interject just a little bit here, um, it's really really tough to do properly as a Dex. You run into the same issue as like why can't Augur overtake sports betting and casinos, and that's because. Like a true casino, a true sports book can accept losses because they aggregate liquidity. And the only way that you can kind of accept bets like these on exotic pairs is if you have aggregated liquidity, which requires some level of centralization. Perhaps that could be done through a DAO process uh, where you have liquidity providers that cover the whole of everything. And then you have like, it's still, it's really, really tough um, to do decentralized. I mean, most of the time, wouldn't it be done where you have people LPing and they basically act as the house and they take the upside if people who are taking positions win and the downside if, or the, the downside of people who are taking positions win and the upside if they lose? Yes, but certainly this is, if I could just jump in real quick, this is, I mean, certainly possible in Web3. While I, I haven't, I don't know a lot about the sports betting side, I mean, with kinetics, GMX and many other perps models in the industry, there are multiple assets, sometimes 10 plus assets that are pooled. And as Dave mentioned, basically the house is the people willing to LP those positions. So you could easily have a sports betting platform that had different exotic and types of sort of pairs, you may call them, right? One team against another or whatever uh, that could just be put into the houses pot that the LPs uh, fund and take the risk. And if, you know, the, the, the better wins, they uh, pay out the, the loss and vice versa. Yes. We was actually discussing with a, a team recently uh, on the subject of exotic assets, talking about um, luxury watches. Like it basically, it was like a synthetic that tracked luxury watches. And so um, I, I don't know exactly how they would do it, but they would do like, uh, let's say they're talking about a Rolex. They might do like a a 2008 day date pool, I guess, or like you might do a day date pool that was just you know mixed years or whatever. 
So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And it, it speaks to the same thing Dave was talking about, about the Big Mac thing. It's just like more novel uh, niche assets that get people excited. And I think it probably helps with the virality as well. As well. If you're building a platform um, and you want to differentiate yourself from the GMXs of the world, if you can say you list, you know, Big Macs or whatever, um, that's like a, an interesting viral marketing trick as well. Even if there's not like a massive amount of people that want to speculate on that, it's just interesting to say that you can you can do that. I'm just interested to know about like like hedging and stuff in that respect. Like it'd be yeah, like from an instability point of view, it's, they're probably a lot more unstable than uh, pools that can be hedged really easily, right? Like Bitcoin or whatever. Yes, they're they're difficult to hedge. And to to go back on this, either you need liquidity providers to take the other side of that exact bet, or you need aggregated liquidity. And the difficulty with aggregated liquidity for new exotic bets is they'd technically have to like pre-approve whatever new bets you come up with, which is an existential danger to their existing liquidity. Even if they're fine with all the existing liquidity, if you want to add Big Macs, either you need new LPs to come in specifically to take a weird exotic bet, which is usually not going to be profitable and kind of high risk uh, for mm. the users. You run into the lack of growth, kind of like Augur did, uh, where they're not going to take that exact bet. They want to just get generic APR and so that the house can assume bets, but you don't want to necessarily give full access to whatever the platform chooses to put up a bet against because lots and lots of bets are gameable. Mm. So I guess like this is like the classic question of like coincidence of wants, right? Like... It's really hard, and I think I understand you, Eric. Like, it's really hard for us to have a generalized world asset platform, just because the demands for different assets is so different, coming from different backgrounds, knowledge. It's very difficult to say that there's one type of world asset, and for the ones that does have like real estate and gold, those markets are pretty. They have like a very robust traditional market. And while having them represented on chain does open up for more liquidity, it is, like you said, it's all, all, all almost like this is like um, a dilemma where the smaller the asset class, the more niche asset class, the more it benefits. But at the same time, the less coincidence of ones that is able to generate and therefore is not able to generate a big enough market for that to become successful. Is that, is that how I'm... Like how I should understand it? Kind of. Um, and just in general, a lot of these problems of of being able to do niche markets, of being able to grow and and scale are solved via centralization. So even though like I'm also a decentralization maxi, I would love for a lot of this to be solvable by DEXs in ways that make sense. It's going to be very, very difficult for DEXs to compete on niche markets, on per big max. Whereas the Binances, or the FTXs of the world could do that kind of thing easily because they have the slush liquidity that isn't constantly audited, that can take a whole bunch of bets because their wins will outpace their losses uh, without having to have actions kind of take place on chain. So like there are ways to do it, even, even aggregation, even DAOs doing things, it's never going to be as efficient as centralization. And so we have to really figure out how to price decentralization and how like and how expensive the liquidity that you're going to put up is compared to opportunity costs. Like it's not an easy calculation, um, but it, it's it's possible. But it's it's going to be tough. Yeah, everything is harder with blockchains, given that they're these like when you're talking about efficiency, they're these pretty damn inefficient. Um, you know, 
databases, essentially. The, the beauty of them is that they're incredibly secure and they're incredibly decentralized if done right. And that's a really big deal in the world, right? And so now we have to find, you know, we have to solve a bunch of, a bunch of little mini games, a little bunch of little mini computer science problems. And each time we solve one, we make these platforms more, uh, more, more and more like the centralized counterparts. And in many ways, they're better than the centralized counterparts. Um, I mean, for example, you don't have to trust, you know, uh, Binance or FTX with your assets. I mean, I, I talk to VCs and different funds uh, all the time, and they're all trying to hedge their bets and by not having all of their assets on centralized exchanges. And there's there's a bunch of other uh, conveniences, you know, not having to KYC, um, not being as worried that, you know, the government in whatever country you're in may like go insolvent and have to confiscate your funds like happened in Cyprus and Greece or even in the United States where they confiscated people's gold early on. So there's a lot of benefits, but yeah, it is really difficult. These things are so inefficient in, in so many ways, but we're finding so many solutions through, uh, I mean, you know, IBC itself was a huge solution of like helping to unfragment liquidity and, uh, and scale. And, uh, you have rollups as a great solution. You've got, um, uh, account abstraction. There's, there's so many things we're doing to solve these problems. I'm I'm so excited just talking about it because it's I love solving problems and I love to see I mean everybody on this stage are problem solvers so it's cool to see. Yeah, for sure. I, I think this is a good time to bring. Oh no, he's just dropped off. I was just, <laughs> I was just gonna I was just gonna interview. Uh, sorry, I was just gonna introduce Rushi, um, who the minute I started talking dropped off. So Rushi, request again and uh, we, we can have you on to intro and then to join this discussion. Uh, but sorry guys, carry on. Yeah, real quick, just wanted to go back to the point Eric raised. I think was 100% spot on and just kind of share like one of the things that we faced in our journey, you know, pretty much along the same lines. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the products we had envisioned uh, was to have synthetic assets on the Comdex chain and again focused on quote unquote exotic assets. What we uh, thought about was having like, you know, um, agricultural assets, like agri assets like, uh, you know, barley, soya bean and things like that as synthetic assets on chain. But of course, like deep into kind of ideation for it, what we realized as would be a big obstacle would be kind of, you know, creation of that liquidity because essentially anyone who creates that liquidity on chain becomes someone who's taking a short position on that. Um, and in a lot of kind of skewed markets, you wouldn't find a lot of people who want to go short on that asset. Um, there wouldn't be enough liquidity to support that. And you'd, of course, have that asset depeg heavily from its underlying asset. So the only scenario in which that made sense is to introduce some degree of centralization where you have, you know, some whitelisted entity that holds that asset or custodies that asset physically in the real world and is then able to issue you know, synthetic equivalents of it on chain to kind of hedge their exposure. Uh, but yeah, I think 100% spot on uh, what Eric said is essentially you can't solve this problem without introducing a degree of centralization in the process. And, and um, until we kind of reach that stage, it's, it's going to probably be that way. Just wondering there to start 
um, the original synthetics design had inverse assets as well. So I think you could have inverse ETH or synthetic ETH to make it so that the people LPing weren't automatically short everything there. Um, would that be a design feature that, that would make a difference or is there something else that that introduces as a complication? Uh, it would. Um, in, just the difference was that when we kind of originally ideated for this product, um, we had imagined it more to be like a MakerDAO style minting where you kind of over collateralize a crypto asset and then mint the synthetic against it. And which essentially makes you a short position on minting that asset. Of course, you know, with the help of oracles, it would be possible to mint the inverse of the same asset. But um, it, it still would run into the same kind of liquidity problem that we we imagined where in the absence of sufficient liquidity, you would just face scenarios where that particular asset would, you know, very likely just get depegged from its underlying and, and it just would hurt users in that process. So that's kind of what steered us away from taking that route. I, I wonder if there is like a fundamental contradiction to having these World War assets, because at the end of the day, you do have to like, um, like, uh, I think, sorry, I forgot who was speaking about this again. Um, you do need to have institution holding it, right? You do need to have some sort of regulation to, for, I'm guessing for, for it to be real, like a real tokenized asset, you still have to rely on the legal system to enforce that. I think one of the, like, the really missed opportunities, or maybe this is something that, you know, will come back with NFTs in the future, is the idea of NFTs being a, uh, intellectual property. I think I'm very intrigued and appealed by the idea because it makes sense to me. So much of our sort of digital ownership these days are in the form of songs, movies, pictures, content that we create, blog posts that we write. But even with like these very natively digital assets that has very robust uh, regulations protecting copyright, that still haven't been able to make their way on chain. So it, make, it does makes me skeptical that these other assets that are so much less re regulated in terms of in terms of you know transferability, in terms of token, um, you know breaking it into shares, in terms of turning it into derivatives. I don't know. It. I feel like there might be a fundamental contradiction in what where assets tokenized where assets are trying to do, and what systems there are in place to support it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. And just off the back of that as well, just another thing to consider is whether or not <clears throat> fundamentally you want to participate in the market. So I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. So obviously, to some degree, whether you're holding a synthetic or a real world asset that's tokenized, you're participating in the market, right? Uh, but in a sense, when you hold a synthetic, you're accepting the fact that you're your contribution to the market, your trade, is not probably not going to move the price even by a micro degree of the actual underlying asset because you, you trade in a, a purely synthetic der derivative, right? You're trading a price feed. Um, and so I guess on a fundamental basis, like what do we think as a panel about whether or not that is a healthy development or do we think that all participants in the market should be trading the underlying asset ideally? This is an ideal world, so that their uh, their trades, their positions, then go onto like the the aggregated market wisdom that sets the price. Right? What do we all think of that idea? 
Um, I think it similarly to decentralized stablecoins falls into a debate of scalability versus security. And that is always a bit more secure if you're trading the underlying asset and affecting the price in real time, but it's going to be way, way more efficient to trade synthetics. Um, and therefore, synthetics will probably win out, even if it's um, more of a short-term play, because people will make more money of it, off it in the short term. Same as like, you know, DGED didn't really take off, but UST did because it's infinitely scalable, even though it's not secure at all. Um, that makes people money faster. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And also, <clears throat> to some degree, even though synthetics don't uh, affect the price of real-world assets, um, to some degree, they could, can affect. It can serve as a price signal that can affect the price of a real-world asset, right? So, like, if you have a niche community of traders in one particular area that knows something about a real-world asset but is trading synths, what will probably happen is the price will diverge massively. And that will signal something which will trigger other people to look into whatever's happening with that underlying asset. And that could that signal, you know, that could signal an issue with the price feed or an issue with the synth, or it could signal an issue with the real world asset that hasn't been realized yet. And so that's like it's it's interesting. Like it, it doesn't directly affect price, but it can it can affect the price or it can serve as a price signal. I just think it's interesting because obviously, you know, we the market's meant to be like the aggregate of all of our collective wisdom about the value of an asset. And when you do a synthetic asset, you're sort of saying, okay, my, my, my contribution to that is going to be put over here in a box that doesn't really mean anything, but it can make me money in the short term because it's a speculative thing. So it's just interesting, like philosophically, whether or not you, you feel like your trade should be part of the market. Um, in a sense, they always are, but then, you know, with since it's kind of like sectioned off, right? So it's kind of interesting. Just a, a PSA as well. We have um, a new speaker's just joined the space, which I believe is donovan from astro vault uh, i'm not 100 percent sure if that's the correct name but that's the name that i've been given in dms so donovan do you want to just give a quick intro and then we'll we'll let you join the conversation uh benji i think it means you ah apologies oh right okay yeah <laughs> benji got it Okay, maybe we'll come back to you. Uh, could be having no worries. It's it's just my CTO who can't figure out how to unmute. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, spaces is particularly challenging. I don't think it's a dev dev worthy task, but I think out of all the things that we use on a daily basis, it's probably the one that leaks that that works the least. So, yeah. Mike, Jack, Elon needs to fix this. I think. Hello. Yes. Loud and clear. Go ahead. Hey, Jack. Um, I don't know how, who, what's going on in terms of what brought me up. I was just doing some stuff on the screen here. <laughs> then I heard my name being, I was like, who's Donovan from the Astro Vault team? Anyway, hello, everybody. Um, I'm Benji from the Astro Vault team, not Donovan, from the old TV show called V, um, for those who are into sci-fi. Um, yeah. What's next? Cool. Um, so welcome to the panel. We're just currently discussing uh, synthetics vs. real-world real assets. Uh, and apologies for the name mistake. Somebody somebody sent me a, a DM saying to let you up and use that name. So. Oh, somebody dropped <laughs> me in it. Okay. Nice one, guys. Probably so, Eric. Yeah. I always blame Eric for everything. <laughs> so it's all good. Um, it wasn't Eric in this case, so you're safe, Eric. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's kind of like, a, you know, a, an interesting point about the um the efficiency angle like synthetics clearly because of the way that they can be done with price feeds from the likes of pith and, and api3 from a blockchain point of view are just far superior in terms of efficiency and the market as we know does trend towards more efficient solutions over time 
So then do you guys think on the Oracle side that we're going to see that the use of synthetics is going to increase massively over time or do you think we're going to stick to some form of tokenized real world assets? So obviously with ET so like in the TradFi world to frame this in the ETFs um whilst most people use them like since that they're meant to represent the real world asset and you can you know you're meant to be able to take delivery of of uh of said asset if you need to like if you're trading gold like a gold contract for example um you know you could in theory you could take delivery of that asset if you wanted to even though most people use it to you know for like a short-term position or whatever so i just think yeah it's, it's kind of interesting like that is uh in a sense like a tokenized real world asset even though it's not specifically tokenized just before you made an amazing point on like on chain or synth on, on chain synthetics driving real world asset pricing and we can, i haven't seen the movie maybe some of you have like about the whole gme saga pretty much everyone or all the exchanges stop trading or at least buying or something and then pretty much market has stopped then if you had a gme since on chain like what do you do um would you still keep like keep trading open so in from one perspective it would be amazing like while traditional worlds blocking it you can actually take exposure and actually almost like weekends arguably it's kind of like weekends and we had the whole btc futures on cme like does it feel the week does it does it not etc so i think it's super it's a super interesting angle i think we're, we're still too small let's say to have such an impact um but also in here if you link to the oracle perspective is um let's say pith has a gme price feed this price feed comes from either exchanges us exchanges like cbo memex etc and traders that trade them if all markets are suspended publisher like what would they publish because the official market for the asset is pretty much stalled. so here like arguably however you're built you, oracle i think cannot save you for this then after it's more to the protocol implementation and i think more and more and we see it i think it's a time swap going actually oracle less so here in the case of real world asset it's a bit harder because like you don't have something backing it um like okay you bought gme at 200 based on the trading of chain it rocks to 400 on chain like at the end of the day it's, ve- it's just numbers on screen while arguably on the web2 world you get the actual like contract or share behind um but it i mean i think we'll see more and more various type of assets the gme like tokenized uh, no not tokenized uh, shares as of today plus some part tokenized directly well I, i don't know if you're aware of this or if anybody on the space has some insights into this but a lot of trading interestingly um especially with amateur traders uh or day traders is done with uh cfds which are like they're not i guess i wouldn't put them in the same category as a synthetic but it's it's essentially just a contract for the difference in the share price when you buy it and when you sell it um they're usually associated with predatory brokerages where they'll you know take the other side of the trade or they'll do they'll basically do something that's uh, slightly manipulates the situation so you're you're more likely to lose um but yeah it's, so it's interesting right like a contract for the difference is not the underlying asset 
And so if that's very popular in the the uh, sort of like Web2 trading world, there's no reason why since can't become increasingly popular popular in the in the Web3 world. And I think the point you made about weekend trading is a really good one. Like, you know, with Sims, I mean, it, it'd be difficult from my point of view because if you was trading a stock, so what, one point actually I wanted to make is when it comes to stocks, I know from the industry that people have an aversion to listing stocks on Perpstexes because of this, the regulatory stuff. Um, it was something that Kinetics looked at um, and obviously have the facility to do, um, but I've decided not to do because of the regulatory, uh, the potential regulatory risks uh, around that. So it's it's kind of interesting, right? Like, um, the, while the facility is there, will it be, is it being something that's, is it something that's been really adopted um, on the Oracle side? Like, you know, you guys run the price feeds, right? So from that point of view, for the, for the, uh, the Oracles that you have that are related to stocks, um, is that something that you see an adoption on? Like, are there a lot of protocols using it, um, or are people generally shying away from it and sticking to commodities and forex and that kind of stuff? Mostly shying from it, um, and I think you totally nailed it. It's mostly what's going to happen to me when I do it. Um, so, I guess it's going to be very quiet till, let's say, X Y Z legal clarity. And it's going to go zero to 100 or one to 100 very fast. Um, but also on our end, it's our goal is also to show what's going to like arguably technically possible today, which to kind of also like guide towards what not we should do, but what can be done in the future. Um, and whether it's with those ETFs that brought us there, we'll see. But yeah, we're still so far away from seeing like whether it's stocks, even ETFs, like whether it's US ETFs, European ETFs, Asian ETFs, um, barely. Oh, I mean, I think I have three or four apps coming to mind. That's it. Yeah, I, th I thought that might be the case, unfortunately. I, it almost feels like somebody should break new ground and just go for it. Um, I know that that's a really difficult thing, right? Because a, a lot of these protocols have legal teams that say don't do things like that. Uh, don't break any new ground. Don't rot the boat. Don't don't put your head above the parapet. But uh, like the problem is, this is like a a real interesting utility. Like the idea that you could trade synthetic stocks on chain is a really really good thing. And I think a lot of people in DeFi would want to take positions in said stocks, especially if it was things that are kind of adjacent to the industry, right? Like like MicroStrategy or Coinbase or something like that. I think that's something that people there will be a massive demand for on the retail side. But it's just which protocols are brave enough to take the first shot, you know? And we have quite a lot of um, equities listed on our market, which is market.api3.org, and a lot of commodities as well. We see some use, uh, not as much as I think would be nice to see, um, but surely this is one of the use cases where uh, a protocol that was afraid of regulation could deploy in an anonymous manner sign up programmatically for the feeds through the API3 website. And it could be done completely programmatically without needing to identify any people in it. Not that I'm saying this would be a good legal thing for them to do, just speaking theoretically. Um, I'm sure as well with the increased, well, 
the increased visibility of blockchain now that there's the ETF for Bitcoin with fiscal settlement, I'm sure that regulators will take a position on whether blockchain-based trading platforms can trade in tokens that represent or can be directly redeemed somehow for these um, more traditional assets. Can I ask you, you mentioned um, the ETF had physical settlement. I was under the impression that that was rugged at the last minute and they went for cash no, only it's, rather than in-kind redemption. It's physical settlement, I think, and custodied by Coinbase as well. Uh, I think they buy once daily. Right. Interesting. That's, that's a really positive thing. I mean, obviously, like, you know, because these are regulated financial institutions, you would kind of, uh, I know this is a, a difficult word for this space, but you would trust that they stick to their uh, responsibilities. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as much as you can, um, but well, but yeah, you, yeah. You, you you would trust you would trust that they'd fill the ETF right. But at the same time, the idea that you can you can have physical settlement or you can have uh, in kind redemptions is, is really positive because it means that there's a check there, so that if they they ever did decide to, uh, you know, like go for fifty percent back, twenty five percent back, or whatever, that the community could in theory withdraw and then you know that that would keep them. Uh, from doing really crazy fractional reserve stuff, um, but yeah, I think um, I think that's quite interesting. I, I'm interested to hear for, more from um, Melch. I know you've been a bit quiet on some of these topics. I don't know if you want to jump in with any any insights or. Yeah, you know, I I think I take this a a bit of a different direction since um, I'm outside of crypto. I'm obsessed with uh, investing in prop in real estate, right? Rentals, property, and and so my brain always goes there quickly when when i'm thinking about rwas and and i'd be curious what these guys what, what some of this panel thinks about uh it, it it seems to be such a painful process to do it how people traditionally invest in real estate now that it seems like you could free up a lot of liquidity fractionalize a lot of property i like watching what um i'm gonna butcher in the name is a property on on ethereum and what they're building uh currently got my eyes on like a six bed 10 bath in miami for 10 million so you know let's hope that bull market comes soon but yeah does anybody else keep their eye on uh you know more about that project what are they doing because i'm I'm also very interested in this yeah they're so they're uh tokenizing real estate but they're 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 taking the approach where you can be a real estate agent and like you can list a house i i I don't know the fundamentals on like how they get around some of the regulation and, and title fractionalized rentals you know are you just like owning pieces of a rental but so i can speak to that a little bit um because there was a platform that was based in the uk called property partner um they i don't know if they're still around this is like three four years ago they weren't blockchain based but i can tell you how they did it with web2 essentially or, or real world um the, what they were doing was um they would crowdfund the purchase of a property so it would this is like large properties this is, this is not like single family homes this is like a um, an apartment block with 100 units or whatever, you know, for a few million. They would crowdfund the purchase of that. And then for each property that was bought through the crowdfunding app, they would then start a UK limited company that would hold the sh- that would hold the asset, so whatever it was, the apartment block or whatever. Um, and then they would issue the number of shares that would correspond with the number of uh, units that were sold to the various people in the crowdfunding app, right? So if like, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, like uh, a thousand people crowdfunded this apartment block, they would issue a thousand shares. If 500 did, they would issue 500 shares. And then the sh- the rent was then paid out as a dividend through the company. 
Um, and so that's how they did it. That was using just purely traditional financial stuff. There was no Web3 involved. Um, but you can see how just from that model there that a similar model could be applied to Web3, right? And probably the crowdfunding aspect would be a lot easier because people, I think people would be interested for some uh, investments that you could fund through Web3, but they were negatively correlated to to Web3 because obviously during the bear times, it's always better to have negatively correlated assets, right? I actually could see like that very easily could, you know, like in new in the US already, right? Like you have states like I think it was Nevada that actually recognize the formation of DAOs. So these DAOs that are formed and governed using smart contract actually could exert legal jurisdiction over the assets under their control. I think that's like a very powerful way to do it. And like that's how Neo Kingdom is doing it right now. They have like a DAO that's incorporated uh, with the Estonian uh, government. And the DAO basically, you know, the smart contracts on the DAO mirrors the governance of the real world assets. I think if you are going to do tokenized assets, you need to have that perfect mix of like the legal enforcement that it's almost like that the on-chain votes acts as um, the the trigger triggering mechanism for any legal actions because at the end of the day well, like these real world assets if they, if they really are true truly real world assets some national government somewhere is going to have control over them so un- unless you have that like you know again the marriage of the legal system within the jurisdiction you're working with and the, the on-chain governance to make it work i don't see how else you could do it like yeah yeah i think that, i think that's a great point shucks um just this idea that the the legal framework has to match what you're doing on chain, and I think just a, another point about that as well is like the so in in the UK I can speak to this and also um, probably in the majority of like European and the US probably has similar banking legislation. There's legislation that's to do with source of funds. So if you if you want to buy like um, a, an apartment block or you want to buy any kind of property really over a certain value, um. You not only have to KYC in the traditional way, you know, but with, with your identification and so on, but you also have to prove source of funds. So you can't just turn up with like a million dollars in crypto from a crowdfunding app and say, like, can I buy this apartment? Because the, the bank won't allow the transaction to go through because they can't prove source of funds for all the individual, like everybody that's contributed there to that um, crowdfunding effort probably would have to have submitted something to say like, okay, I got this. I, I bought this cryptocurrency through my job, which I work regularly, not through crime or whatever. Um, and I know that's, I'm, I'm not saying that because that's like, I, I think this is a good idea. I'm just saying that that's the current landscape. Mm-hmm. And so it's difficult to imagine how uh, crowdfunding in the same way that you would do it. Like if you, if you was just moving money from a, a normal bank account in a developed country to somebody else's bank account in a developed country, then that's kind of like seen by the system as safe money, isn't it? It's like it's come from point A, which is regulated, to point B, which is regulated. So, that, so the government kind of says, okay, this is fine. But if you move it from a non-regulated environment, which usually means, uh, which is crypto, obviously, but also it could be a non-developed economy or a developed economy where the, the banking controls are a lot looser, um, then the government views that and the banking system views that as like potentially uh, – uh, cloudy funds or potentially funds where the the source is obscured and so they tend to react quite harshly to it and so one of the things that we have to solve as an industry i think is like first of all 
we need to get some regulation that allows people to use crypto for larger purchases like property in a, in a way that's not obstructed in a way that you know the banking system accepts that this is legitimate currency and i think you know things like the etf are one way to do that because this is like you know now suddenly from from being uh something that you'd use on on silk road to buy drugs and guns uh now bitcoin is something that your grandma might own in a retirement account right so it's becoming more, more legitimate um and so that's that's from a pr point of view that's great for crypto um and then i think the, the other side to that is I think we need to encourage our regulators on a government level to pass legislation that empowers the banks who want the business from the crypto community but are worried about their own you know, financial conduct regulations that empowers the banks to actually deal with us as an industry. Because one of the issues we've got at the moment is you know, when you say crypto to a bank, they immediately think you know, money laundering, drugs and guns. And so that's like a that's like a huge issue that we need to overcome, and that's that's only going to come when our legislators back us and start to yeah speak positively. Go ahead, Rob. Well, mm. the good thing is many big institutions and regulators and politicians are finally saying, "Hey, we are going to see a lot of tokenization." You have Larry Fink talking about it all over the fucking place. You have, um, uh, I think, even. Um, Jay Clayton, I believe the ex SEC uh, uh, chairman, who was a big, you know, uh, hawk on crypto, but now that he's no longer SEC chairman, he's like getting on stage with Larry Fink and others talking about how we're going to tokenize things and how stable coins are going to be great and how Gary Gensler is too hawkish on crypto. It's like, wait, what? What is It's a bizarre world. But anyways, so it's good to see because it seems very clear that this is going to be a better system. I mean, I don't own a lot of real estate. Uh, I own some, but I don't own a lot because to have to make a bet on, you know, a property that's illiquid, that uh, there's there's a variety of reasons why you know I, I may not just go out and buy another house, uh, but if I could buy one percent or ten percent or twenty percent of a house through a fractionalized you know token, uh, if I knew it was safe and uh, in in this case I probably would want uh, like generally anytime there's a centralized party I think like I I'm I, I'm pretty anti-regulation as a libertarian but when it comes to things like centralized stable coins where there's a you know someone holding assets in the background or like pegged uh you know either gold or or like uh you know someone owning real estate and then giving out fractionalized tokens that, that I personally I probably would want to invest in one that was regulated uh and did have like proof or if not regulated at least <clears throat> audited and in a jurisdiction where I could go after them if they run away with all the property or money or something. So that's kind of an interesting one. As a libertarian, for me to say that, it's kind of interesting, I, th I think. I love, yeah. I love it, Rock. And, and actually, I don't know if we can roll them up here, but a good friend, JXR, with his incredible mutant ape, um, lives in Chicago with me. And he had a really cool story they just put on my radar about Chicago trying to do this. And he was a, he was a bit involved. So if he's bold enough and able to come up, man, I would love for him to come up and give details about what he was pulling there. I'm up. 
Yeah, uh, just to echo that, if you do request um, and you are relevant to the panel or, or in any way you've got some points to add, please do come up. And in terms of audience members, um, just, to, just to be clear, um, it is great to have audience members come up and do request. Sometimes the panel gets a bit packed out, especially in the first half. So just bear in mind that it can be a little difficult sometimes um, to get people up. So don't, don't feel like I'm ignoring you intentionally. Wouldn't it be cool if like not only fractionalized real estate where you could just buy 1% or whatever. And imagine how good the pricing mechanism would be there, how much more efficient it would be than when you buy a whole house. You know, you could because people can buy and sell individual percent. So the price would fluctuate. Uh, based on that. Hey, Bengi, uh, sorry, could you mute your, uh, you got your Yeah, mic. I was just, um, <laughs> no, I unmuted actually on purpose this time. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, this, this, this subject is, is, is one of fascination to me. Um, uh, and some of the points have been uh, rather interesting. We have to not forget that 10 years ago, the people that wanted to regulate didn't regulate. And thankfully, we ended up where we're at now, you know, with a whole movement being the Web3. Um, so I'm not really a fan of thinking that we have to wait on anybody to tell us how we advance our technology. Um, so <clears throat> waiting for regulators to tell us what we can and cannot do, God, we'll be waiting until 2030 at this rate. Um, I think that <clears throat> building a sound investment up to be able to go to lawyers and say to lawyers, look, nobody knows the, the path. We are innovating here. Um, let's do something that um, creates a solid legal framework through NFTs to allow uh, RWAs um, and, and, and those kind of things to happen um, sooner than waiting for any government to tell us what we can innovate. Um, it is, that's, that's my point that I just want to get across with kind of that area. Um, 100%. Yeah. I think that's I, I that's agree. a great point, man. Like it's it's like the the philosophy is move move fast and break things, right? Mm. Um, and if the thing you're breaking is is current reg regulation, but it's for a better future, then maybe that's a positive thing. No, that's not legal advice, by the way. So don't go breaking a bunch of laws, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's not about breaking. <laughs> it's not about breaking laws per se. It's just it's 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 a lot of the times these laws just do not factor in our technology and, and, and what we're doing as we try and push forward and, and we are um, where, wherever we are being disruptive to change and improve the, the state of life. Um, and to allow other people to get involved, um, like uh, things like uh, fractionalization uh, um, and, and, and being able to allow people with um, uh, a, a less stake to be able to get involved into the property game or um, whatever. Um, uh, these systems are going to be to allow a greater number of people to to purchase stuff, really, yeah, and get a dividend. Yeah, and I think a, a bet a better value as well. Mm. So, like, if you're so like from from a real just just sticking to the real estate, so mm. then we're going to go to JXR by the way in a minute because um he, he's come up with his mutant ape like Melch said. So, um yeah, so just uh, just before we get into that though, like the idea that you could, you know, if you're a small property investor, for example, um and you could have. You know, you could go and buy a small apartment in your local town or city, and that might yield, a, you know, a, a modest return. Or you could get a slice of something that, that's much bigger, a deal that's been negotiated by a professional legal team. That's mm. The deal is a lot better. It yields a higher return. Mm. Like, that's an efficient thing from a market point of view because it's more efficient to have one person managing a, a block of apartments rather than just individual apartments. Mm. So from a market point of view, it's more efficient. And also from an individual point of view, it's better because you're likely to get a higher rate of return from that. 
And so, like, mm, empowering mm, people mm. to be able to do things like that is a really positive thing. Mm, absolutely. I, think. I mean, absolutely. this happens already all the time to where developers, you know, these kind of like project managers, these people that these big, you know, real estate companies, they, they do development or they make deals, or they build things, and they need funding. But to, they're working with, you know, people they know well. They're working with mm. big institutions. They're not working with us. The, Ooh, or the exactly. little guys, right? Yeah, Imagine yeah. if someone in Ethiopia could invest, you know, 50 cents buying a, or a dollar buying a piece of a property in, you know, Manhattan uh, through Web3. And I say that, and it's not a joke. I mean, on QuickSwap, you know, when we created QuickSwap, that's what we saw. You know, when, mm. when Uniswap had average trade sizes of like 20,000, our early average trade size was like $50 and we saw all the time 50 cent trades, $5 trades, $3 trades. And and this was before any bots had at all come to Polygon. This was very early days of Polygon and so we, you know, it was just crazy to see that and seeing like, you know, the, a lot of the people these countries were coming from like, you know, uh, Africa, Latin America. Uh, so yeah, if we can Ooh. open up real estate to these people, if the regulators will allow it, you know that's a great thing for the world it's efficient right. and i i, de I definitely does. agree with that i'm just gonna rock i'm just gonna move over to jxr because he came uh up to discuss that uh the thing that melch was talking about which is very relevant to this um so if that's okay yeah hey everyone how's it going gm can you guys hear me yeah perfect gm yeah, so thank you, Melcher. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm not really wanting to hop on stage. I'm more behind the scenes, but uh, I had something to add to this subject because back in 2000, look some context. Uh, my name is Jordan Xavier. I uh, work for myself, been in the Cosmos for about four or five years now. Started off at Secret Network. I advised to a handful of teams like Shade and Astro, uh, Alter, and a few others. Uh, just so context, but. Um, in 2017, I was working for a co-founder of Ethereum, and there's a pilot project here in Chicago. Uh, I just posted on my Twitter, I don't know if you guys look at the link I just posted about a minute ago. But in 2017, they did a pilot project where um, they were trying to put the property deeds on the blockchain uh, for Cook County. And uh, there's a working group, it was really good, it was a really great experience, but unfortunately they wanted to use the Bitcoin blockchain and everyone knows 10-minute blockchains didn't help, and et cetera, et cetera. And it created a whole, whole fuss. But if you guys look at the picture, or the snapshot I took, one of the key takeaways is that it could really help make things more efficient and get rid of a lot of redundancies. And we know in government, there's nothing but redundancies. I work in compliance, so trust me, uh, it's a whole thing. But uh, one thing that they were anti-Ethereum, but they were just weren't open to the idea of anything else. It was 2017, so I completely understand. But like much brought up, um, it could be really interesting to rehash this thing because already government agency already tested it. They already gave out the conclusion. There's numerous reports about this. And so maybe it's time for it. Maybe it's time for us to go back to 2017 and pick up the ball that with the technology just wasn't there yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I think there's there's definitely a lot that can be improved from an efficiency point of view. Just to give a personal anecdote on this, um, a while ago, a few years ago, I bought a property in the UK that was quite an old property. It was built in 1890, which for you Americans on the call probably seems like thousands of years ago. 
<laughs> and, uh, and essentially it was like, a, you know, it's an, it's an older property, but the land that it was built on was leased when it was originally built. Uh, and so it's technically a leasehold, even though it's uh, treated as a freehold. And so as part of the discovery process of buying that property, um, I had to go back through the uh, basically all the deeds going back to the 1890s to find out the descendants of the person that owned the leasehold on the land. Um, and then the various companies that they'd use and their descendants used to collect the ground rent, which, by the way, is about $5 per year in total. Uh, but they have, you know, they have some kind of like strange claim over this piece of land. And so you, you have to keep paying it or you have to try to pay it. And I couldn't help but think when I was going through that process, like, we need to fix this. This is insane. Like, why, why, why does my solicitor have to track like, you know the sort of descendancy of this of the of the people that own this company from the 1800s like for like you know 150 years or whatever to try and find out who the living descendants are and if they have any interest in collecting five dollars a year this five dollars a year this is like this is insanity yeah there's a another <laughs> thing sorry there's another peculiarity in uk property law as well where if you live near a church, sometimes you might have to pay for repairs oh, to the, the church. Indemnity. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> mad. Yeah, so this is this is a thing. So, so there's insurance policies in the UK called indemnity policies, which is like basically if the, this is for the church, but it's also for other things like uh, I don't know, like if you land requisition due to mining or something. And basically, yeah, if they if you the church can request or demand rent from you not rent sorry uh, a fee to cover repairs to the church as dave says um and this is just an insane bit of legislation that's that goes back to the days when you know the church had a bunch of power and authority over the local community um but this is this is the type of thing that blockchain should solve for um because all these records instead of like individual solicitors having to uh, request them all from the individual like uh you know like physical records like some of the stuff i got to do with this house were like handwritten deeds from like the 1800s and i kind of think like this is something that should just be all on on a database that's that i can just search like ether scan i feel like that would be a much better approach well i have another um, uh real world ask or real world uh use case uh my buddy is a pilot and uh we used to do our budgets in the air he'd always say jordan there's nowhere i can get you to be more honest than in the air so of course as crazy as it may seem um the, the wind-up period is like 20 minutes just to kind of get on the runway and all that bull. But uh, at the very end, I would always notice he would write down in his little journal what happened and whenever he had mechanic or whenever he needed have mechanical checks and all this and that. And I'm going to ask him one day, I'm like, yo, what is that? And he was like, oh, this is my ledger. Whenever I saw the plane, this is the ledger that kind of continues to go through. So I'm thinking like, this is the providence of this flying vehicle you should probably have like very, very accurate details and not leave it up to handwriting. What if you can't read the handwriting? What if it's not accurate? What if there's chapters or days missed? Like there's definitely software there, there's definitely software that can be made to work in conjunction with, with current web two things to make things better. I feel that we try so hard to go to web three that we miss web one two point one through two point nine. And there's a lot of money, a lot of opportunity to be had, help bridging the gap compared to expecting them to come to us versus us going to them. The, yeah, yeah. Very yeah it's, uh, just, it's sorry. Sorry, I was going to say just adding to that quickly. The your experience of it being a 
peculiar inefficiency in the aviation side is actually one of the things that led one of the APR3 contributors to join us. He, like our lead legal engineer, had an aviation law background. So I'm pretty sure that the inefficiencies in aviation planning and documentation are, are pretty well known. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add there is, number one, going backwards, there is certainly you don't drop one tech i'm 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 from the school where you don't drop one technology just because a new one exists right um there's there's the history is littered with people that try and innovate things and the the thing that they're trying to innovate on and, and create a so-called solution for is actually worse in a lot of ways than what we had before hell look at electric vehicles uh compared to just using gas um but that's another subject there in itself um I don't know. Um, some things are idealistic to be converted from a, a real world sense into a data sense. They make sense a lot of the time, but the problem comes into fact when, is when you really look at it from a business perspective. Um, and it's like, well, how many people are actually going to perform a search query on this particular data set? Therefore, how much is it actually going to cost to put the data there, collect the data? Um, maintain the data on storage and so forth. Um, it's it's a difficult one. Um, I, I I have seen resources, governmental resources available, um, companies house and all that kind of thing. And yeah, they they have made a bit of a business out of it, where it's like a hundred quid to to to, to get the uh, the ability to have a report sent through to your house and stuff like this. But often, I'm not sure about. Yeah, this, this a real scalable return on the investment after after creating such a, such a searchable searchable database kind of thing. Mm, interesting. True, but my point of view yeah. is from the government's point of view. We're paying tax dollars. You want to get a report? You might as well get a report on something. If you're gonna have someone do this, it's better off having to be a government agency versus, uh, like you said, just a regular Joe Schmo trying to quarry a random data set. Like I don't think the random person when you sell your house. I'm pretty sure the report says that it's more about cutting out the middlemen of like the hold of the deeds, the licenses, et cetera, et cetera, not the actual person purchasing or selling well, the property. Well, it depends what you're so so part of part of it is like it depends what you survey in. So when you when you buy a property, there's a bunch of surveys that get done right. Some of the surveys are like, for example, um like one one we have in the UK is a lot a lot is is there any uh, radon gas present underneath the property, right? So <laughs> But every time you buy or sell that property, you have to get that survey done, which is kind of silly because radon gas takes millions of years to form. And so if it wasn't there 10 years ago when you bought the property, it's not there now when the next guy buys the property. But because that, that radon gas survey is not on a uh, a database that's like accessible to solicitors, they can't just pull it up and say, yes, it's not there. They have to request and then somebody has to send out a form and, and the whole thing takes like six weeks. So it's... It's just kind of like some of these inefficiencies, I think, um, can be worked out. The thing with that is I wonder who is the one that could have thought about that 20 years ago, for example, and deliberately didn't because they're making money each time somebody puts in one of those requests for data. That's entirely possible. And usually at the heart of persistent inefficiencies in the market, Mm. somebody's getting getting money out of it, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would agree with that. Um, so just to pivot slightly here, I'm just going to bring in Neo King Dow to the conversation. So this is the team that I think Jacques from Evmos was mentioning earlier, who are doing some Dow formation. So I don't know if you you want to intro yourself, Neo King, and then and then uh, 
discuss what you what you have to contribute. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on. My name is Benjamin, and uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, Neo Kingdom. And uh, um, yeah, what what I like about this conversation is like we're talking about real, like you know, that's part of the, the real world assets, and um, and and that's where I think the whole space is getting real. So while initially we're talking about synthetics, which is like how real can a synthetic be? Like it's a contradiction in itself. So now the whole conversation has gone more into like, you know, real estate and like illiquid assets such as um, such as like like real estate. And in our case, like we're incorporating DAOs in Estonia, but not just the DAOs that we've been seeing, like these Discord communities, like it's real world businesses. So it's 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 real world, like we're not talking about real world assets, but real world businesses. And I, I think one of the main challenges when it comes to these, like the world real, is that quickly it associates with the uh, with the security token topic. You know, is it a security token, and how do you get around that? And then the whole regulation kicks right back in. So, um, yeah, we're basically um, just taking our approach and um, like incorporating DAOs, but not these like cyber DAOs, like real world businesses in Estonia, like in our way. So that's just. Um, I don't know if there's more question as to how do, how do we do it? How do we, you know, just like, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Um, so it's really it's really interesting that you mentioned that. So one question I have is, so like when you, if you form a company, right, like a lot of the things that you get asked for is, you know, who are the directors, who are the, you know, who's the treasurer, who has influence over the company and so on. So like with a DAO structure, I know this is going to be obvious to the people that are in Web3 because they've, they've done, uh, you know, they may have set up DAOs or been involved in DAOs, kind of like, at least in the Web3 space, the way it's thought of is like everybody's equal and there are contributors to the DAO, but nobody has authority and everything's done through democratic vote. So I'm just kind of wondering like, what that looks like from a legal point of view when you're setting that up. Um, and if it's like, is Estonia the is Estonia the only company that's friendly to this method of working or is there, or are the other companies, other countries opening up? Um, well, I... I... Well, it's an interesting question. So, so basically, um, you know, like anything is just as decentralized as your weakest link. So, by let's say in our case, Estonia being the 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 country of incorporation for our DAOs, like that is the weakest link. So, so you know, if if it's one country, it's the regulation of that one country, and that is that is as you know that in, in a way you could almost say that breaks the, the the decentralization on the other hand it's 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 not really in our case it's not really that estonia has specific specific regulations that allows for it it's more like the you know i guess our token structure like the way we have designed the tokens or like the the, the way these DAOs incorporate by by separating um like yeah, it has a separation. So basically, the token itself, in our case, is um, is the it's it's a tradable token, and the the benefits from it, such as ownership uh, and um, and dividends, and like all these things that make these assets uh, uh, security tokens, that is separated, um, and it's it's only accessible once you do certain actions so while inherently the the, the new kingdom token is just a utility token um the, the the promise or like the access to the ownership and to the dividends and to like the, the things that are desirable and that make it real 
is only achieved like or you only get that after you kyc after you sort of like go through these like hoops of of uh you know that that, that people are trying to avoid like you know decentralized is like you know what as soon as i kyc is like i am no longer anonymous like all these like i guess decentralization questions come up so um yeah that, that's how in our case that's how we do it oh i have something on this that i just thought about i uh forgot about this completely here in the state, a uh, state called Wyoming has a, a, a legal wrapper that allows DAOs to incorporate as LLCs. And I remember I asked my CPAs how to go about it because it was super interesting. But I think what it was is the state allows it, but the federal doesn't acknowledge it. And so that's the hiccup that was run into the roadblock, really, that was ran into there. But if that roadblock is no longer there, then there are already vehicles out there, like I said, like the state of Wyoming and I think Tennessee, mm-hmm. I think scams, uh, that allow DAO to register as entities. And then you can start the fractalization without having um, directors and all this and that. I mean, I'm sure somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to um, KYC here and there. But if they're just like a legal representation of that group and just a participant of that group, they don't have no responsibility. And I believe the SEC, either this year or probably last year, actually, um, they had to drop a case against the DAO because it didn't show up. There's no one to sue. Just because it was included in the lawsuit, they didn't know who to uh, So I think there are mm-hmm. avenues uh, to make these rural assets and uh, investments there. It's just, um, we gotta remember the original hurdles. Maybe, I mean, I've been in this space since 2014. The golden rule is first one through the door gets shot. And so in this case, <laughs> nobody wants to first through the door because of history. So I get the reservation of not wanting to do it, but I also understand the wanting to be a uh, trendsetter. But you can take it down. So yeah, just just one point and then I go to you, you Jax. Um, so yeah, um, interesting what you said there about the, the legal case where the SEC dropped a case against the DAO because there wasn't anybody to sue. I think this is this is like the, the interesting part about this. And this is also the reason why I think from a regulation point of view, it's a nightmare for the traditional um, powers that be is because it's <clears throat> if you if you you know like the, it's like the whole diminished responsibility thing right if you've got a group of 100 people and they're all contributing to something um it's difficult to know without penetrating that group specifically without knowing all of those conversations and so on it's difficult to know who's actually responsible in any meaningful way and if the DAO is is so you know correctly and completely decentralized and people are contributing uh in the right ways rather than you know just it's just a dowie name only that's being led by like three people um <clears throat> then it, it is decentralized enough to create quite a, a spiky attack surface from a legal point of view now this being said I, I would offer i would sorry i would um like say to anybody that's in a dow um the legal framework around that at the moment is really really difficult and so I would try to put your best foot forward whenever dealing with the authorities, because what we want over time is for the authorities to recognize that DAOs are not a threat and that they're a legitimate legal structure that uh, a group of people can choose to adopt. Um, and so if we have a bunch of DAOs that do crazy shit, <laughs> if you excuse the language, um, then that's not going to help, right? If we, we need DAOs that are ethically run, that are decentralized enough, and that are difficult to tackle from a regulatory point of view, but that aren't actually doing anything wrong because then then the motivation for, for cracking down on them also goes away. 
Um, and people can then use the DAO framework to run legitimate projects, which is what a lot of people are trying to do. Um, fun so yeah, fun quick fact about uh, DAOs and something interesting they can do is, um, Jack, did you see, I may have linked it to you because I know you on a recent spaces, I don't know if it was this space or another, but you said that uh, you recommended the book Sovereign Individual and they talk about virtual uh, like states in the future. Eric, yeah, yeah, Eric yeah, yeah. Voorhees just um, tweeted, retweeted an article talking about, um, I forget, it was like a Vitalik. Vitalik was at uh, hosted some uh, conference thing about weird DAOs and people would pitch their DAOs and stuff. It's a long article. I'll try to find it. We can post it in the Jumbotron. But really cool to see these theories people are having about how you can use a DAO that could, could eventually convert to being uh, like if you buy land and then make it a physical uh, like, you know, state where people like you get some kind of jurisdiction in some kind of country. Uh, anyways, was there not a project with a bunch of Bitcoiners and other people? Is it um, maybe, maybe Lieberland? Like, yeah, going back many years, there was like a kind of push from a lot of the Bitcoin Marxists to create like a breakaway physical uh, area with its own laws and stuff. But yeah, it might it might have been Lieberland. It's, it's been talked about reason, for a while. I I would be so so happy if this can be pulled off. Well, you know some of the. Some of the small Pacific Island nations like Palau uh, are moving towards not exactly a DAO framework, but they're moving much towards like accommodating digital nomads and trying to create legislation that's friendly. And I think one thing that that book talks about a lot is um, the idea that right now the situation is that you're born somewhere and the government doesn't have to compete for your labor over the course of your life. You just It just gets it because... You were born there, and most people aren't likely to move out of the country in which they were born. But now, because transport's so good, and because communication's so good, you know, you can FaceTime somebody on the other side of the world um, with, like, you know, for free, basically, because you can, you know, you just just pay your Wi-Fi bill, and then you can go on the Wi-Fi and use WhatsApp or whatever. Um, and there's loads of apps that can do that, which is great. It's accessible to everybody, basically. Very little cost. Um, so communication's great. Transport's great. Um Online banking and, and crypto and stuff means that you can send funds anywhere in the world. So all these kind of pieces are falling into place now where you can be born in one country and decide to legitimately move your entire life and your work and everything else to a completely different country and have very little impact on your actual life. And this is where now for the first time in this decade, governments are going to have to start to be more competitive. So instead of the government having a monopoly on services, right, like they, you know, you're going to get your healthcare from them, you're going to get your education from them, and then you're going to, you know, grow old and get your elderly care from them as well, and then you're going to die there. Instead, uh, you know, if a government isn't competitive, people can leave. Now, for some places around the world, that's not the case. Like in the US, the government, for some unknown reason, still demands tax revenue, even when you don't live there, which is insane to me. But that's the system you guys have. Um, and so, but eventually, and I think the majority of com countries are going in this direction, they will start to have to market themselves a little bit. And so that won't be, uh, it will be a small thing at first, like a trickle, but eventually I think it will be a flood. And it's like, you know, advertising competitive tax rates, competitive services and so on, and safer environment. And this is all kinds of, uh, things that have happened in the last 10 years as we move more towards a digital economy and also a decentralized economy. It's really interesting to see. And you're right, the book, The Sovereign Individual, does speak to this, and that was written in, I think, 99. 
Um, so very, very, a lot of foresight in that book, I would say. If we can get, and I believe, I really believe that the world moves in a positive direction. Like it moves in the right direction. At times it swings in the wrong way in shorter time periods, right? We have like dark ages and, you know, weird, weird things that happen. But uh, I was like, communism was a bad, was a bad, that was, you know, the world started moving in a bad direction, for example, in my opinion. Um, but I think if we can, it, I think over time things will move in a more positive direction. Even if at times, like right now, I think we're on it on the micro. We're sh- we're losing freedom and privacy. Uh, but like on the, if you zoom out, we're actually like freedom is highest. Uh, if you look at far enough back, you know it's it's been on a positive trend. And I think the pendulum will swing. And I think people of the of Earth, not just of countries, but of Earth, will the whole planet, the whole species, will will push for this kind of stuff like compet competition amongst governments that is the way like consumers win when businesses compete citizens win when countries compete i just made that up that was a cool one <laughs> that's a great quote. that's a good one um but yeah I, I completely agree um and i think like the more that we can make our voices heard and more importantly you know, vote with your finances and in other methods that actually hurt. So like, you know, going out and this is, I'm, I'm not uh, not advocating protest because obviously that's your democratic right to go out and protest. But I would caution anybody that is uh, a disenfranchised or a little annoyed at the moment about the way the government's acting. Protesting, it looks very obviously like the right thing to do because it makes a lot of noise and it disrupts things. But it very rarely actually gets anything done. Um, usually the ways to actually influence the situation is is something a little more subtle. Um, and that can be the way that you, uh, you know, voting, for example, depending on what country you're in, might be effective. Another way might be lobbying or um, trying to move the needle in terms of the way your government views a particular issue. Like over over in this election cycle in the US, for example, this is going to be the first election cycle where cryptocurrency and Bitcoin Ownership is a massive thing with various candidates advertising their allegiance or um, dis- disavowing various cryptocurrencies. I know that, like, you know, candidates, for example, like um, uh, Kennedy Jr. is um, talking about uh, Robert, Robert F. Kennedy. Is that right? Rob? Yeah, RFK Jr. Uh, yeah, RFK Jr. That's it, right? Right. Um, yeah, he's like very pro Bitcoin. He's vocally pro Bitcoin. Um, you've got you know, some other candidates as well talking about this. And so, like, for the first Vivek, time, after this being like a free, There's, I think, like yeah, five different candidates that are... Uh, there's a ton. And I think, like, this has been a fringe issue for a decade. It's been a reasonably niche issue for, like, five years. And I think, finally, it's becoming a mainstream issue, which is, like... You know, we have to get control over the currency. This is an unsustainable fiscal path. That's actually a quote. An unsustainable fiscal path is a quote from, I think, Jerome Powell last week. This is like the, you know, the US is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And this is the head of the Federal Reserve. So it's like, this is when you central bankers saying things like that, this is a, a very bad, a very bad situation. And so this is why you see presidential candidates embracing technologies that um, might help solve that problem um and so it's interesting but like like i said this has been an effort like a really big effort 
thanks mostly to the Bitcoin community, lobbying and lobbying and lobbying for more than a decade to get this into the mainstream. And now you've got presidential candidates finally that are talking about it. So the, it is possible. By the way, shout out to Jerome Powell for saying that, for being, <laughs> seriously, for being <laughs> honest. quiet part for, for actually saying that we have a problem, you know, like it's so often, especially in his position, say, you know, to admit that, it, you know, either himself or others involved, I guess he's kind of deflecting and putting it as a fiscal thing, not a, a you know, a management of the, uh, the money supply and inflation and stuff. But uh, either way, shout out to him for actually being, you know, honest for, for once. <laughs> Yeah, saying the quiet part out loud. Um, but yeah, I think like, I mean, that's a, that's a positive thing, right? You have to have, even if, I mean, we've spoken about this before, the idea that you have um, elected, like people in official capacities that are working for the government have like their official position and then they have what they actually think, which doesn't always correlate. And it's difficult as a citizen of a, country that might be in, engaged in things like you know massive financial manipulation or whatever um to navigate that because on the one hand you know the government doesn't want to panic you and, and once you know in theory tries to look out for its citizens best interests uh, i say that with a pinch of salt obviously but they they kind of take a great a good approach with a lot of things um which is that the individual citizen doesn't matter but the citizens matter and so they try and manage the economy for the, for everybody's benefit. But the problem with that is often that means that they'll lie to you. And so it's very difficult to navigate that space. And like when we talk about DAOs, real world assets, investing, crypto and all that kind of stuff like we have done today, it's very difficult sometimes to look through the fog of official positions and government messaging and propaganda in some cases and see what is the actual truth because the truth is the only thing that's going to allow you to build a, a map of the world, a framework from which you can operate and invest in from an investing point of view that really matters to you. It, they, well, they lie to you for your own good, though, man. Come on, you gotta <laughs> let them let him tell their lies. It's for it's for our best, you know. It's 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 to help us. It's like you know when a kid, uh, the parent tells them about that Santa Claus is coming. You know, it's for their own good. Do you know? I know you're saying that cynically. But I, I kind of half believe that. And I don't believe it's because they, they, they're like all loving, you know, entities that really want to look after us. I just think that sometimes uh, our own good and their own good align. And so they kind of do things that, that seem to be for our own good. And it's things like, um, so like, like Jerome Powell this week, right? The US is on an unsustainable fiscal path. It is. It has been since the 1970s. Right when they took it, when they took when they depegged the dollar to gold and they started printing fiat and, the, and everybody most economists from that point knew that we would end up somewhere like we are today with massive inflation. You know what is it like fifty percent of the dollars that have ever existed have been printed in the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> that's everybody knew that we would get to that point because it was just a kind of mathematical thing, right? If you're borrowing more than you bring it in, and you do that year on year on year, you're going to get compounded inflation. And if you don't manage that, it's going to get out of control. Governments are always going to overspend because if you can, if you give uh, a group of people the ability to buy votes with stuff, they're always going to try and do that because the party wants to get reelected each year. And so they're going to keep doing that. There's not really a way to get around it. Um, but at the same time, 
if the economists in 1970 would have scared everybody to death and said, yes, you know, it's going to crash and burn. And, and that, would, that was just the way the Federal Reserve acted, despite having to do what the legislators told it to do, which was print more money. That wouldn't necessarily have helped the situation either. And so it's kind of like they acknowledge that there's an issue, but then they do the best to mitigate it, and it doesn't always work very well. And then, the, and then you've got other things like, you know, politicians acting cynically and stuff, which is a, a separate issue, I think. So I have a question. Uh, we've kind of veered from the topic a bit. I have a question about, so synthetic assets, is there, is there, does anyone here see an issue with the fact that like, let's use uh, Bitcoin as ex- an example. If you create synthetic Bitcoin and if it doesn't settle using real Bitcoin and let's just say hypothetically, whatever platform you built that with or, or suite of platforms or group, lots of different platforms, let's say that became large let's say it became 10% of Bitcoin trading was on these synthetics. Um, That would be 10% that would have been traded on real Bitcoin. That means people going long would have been buying real Bitcoin. But now instead, they're just making these essentially synthetic side bets. Does it mess with the integrity of the asset itself? Or is it bad for... In, in the case of assets we believe in and that we want to get adopted and we, we want the price to go up, if people are buying these synthetic versions instead, is that is that a problem to anyone here? It's kind of like, uh, I mean, I'm in the U.S., so it's kind of like uh, gambling and sports, bet, sports betting here in the U.S. versus Europe. Europe, you guys had um, you guys had betting, all the ups and downs that come with it. We're just now going through the headaches of it of all the things that can be manipulated, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the game is still pure. Like, you know, watching football or soccer, whatever you may call it, it's still pure. It's still the game. The side bets, like the prop bets, who's going to get this at halftime? Who's going to do this? It don't take away from the game. I think it just adds to it. So, you know, what could be in the Bitcoin pool at 10%, you know, is really, is it, are you losing 10% or are you gaining 10%? Well, to counter that point, though, Jake, so just to... Just to like take take devil's advocate position there, the difference is um, it, when you take a side bet during a game, like who's going to get a pass or who's going to get you know score the next goal or whatever, that doesn't affect the outcome of the game. But in this case, if you have uh, you know ten percent of trading taking place on since, then it's possible that that could affect the outcome of the game because those because those trades would have been placed on Bitcoin. So it's like um, <laughs> in sports, to use the sports betting analogy, um, imagine that instead of everybody using sports betting, some people ran on the pitch, and that's kind of like the 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 thing with with Bitcoin, right? You can see, you know, some of those people that would be trading since will be actually playing in the game; they will be buying the real asset, and so that's an interesting interesting. I mean, we spoke about this before with price discovery, right? So, like some people who are like market purists want their trades to count in the market; they want to participate in price discovery because they want to affect the price of an asset. Other people don't care because they just want exposure to whatever the price does, and so they'll use things like contracts for the difference or synthetics or whatever, which uh, you know don't really have any bearing on the price. Yeah, when I buy Bitcoin or ETH or Atom or Polygon or Doge or any of these, I like to think that my buy is me voting with my wallet, that I'm supporting these things that I believe in 
And if we use synthetics, it feels like it's taking away from that to some extent, in in my opinion. That's one that's how I've always thought about it, but I'm curious if other people disagree. I mean, there are there are situations where like in general derivatives, I'm not against like derivatives in general. I actually think that derivatives uh, play a really important part in markets. Um, the ability to short an asset uh, actually helps dampen volatility. It helps find better, you know, market, you know, price discovery. Um, it's good to have different ways to bet on something or to bet different directions or to bet even with leverage, for example, like leverage helps with price discovery because it has problems too but it helps with price discovery because if i'm a little guy and i don't have a big wallet but i really believe that this asset's going to go up and i've done my research and i'm sure and i and i have spent my life dedicated to understanding something and i want to take you know and but i just don't have the money to to for my bet to be meaningful well i can 100x long it or short it, uh, and then I, uh, I can reap those benefits, uh, and and things get more, less asymmetrical. I guess you could look at it as. So I think that you know derivatives do play a role, but these kind of paper and synthetic assets. I'm trying to think of like what the pros and cons are of them. For I, I thought you might take the position, Rock, that you want your trades to count. I I, I know you as a, a big free market guy, and so it makes total sense that you would. You would really want that to be uh, that you're voting with your wallet. That really matters to you. I, I definitely thought there's a lot case. of things I buy, and it's almost purely <laughs> voting with my wallet. Like there's lots of so to, so times to take where the I other buy side, a stock though. or sell a stock based on the actions of that that company or the actions of that team. If I see a team that's doing something that I really believe in, maybe they're focused on something like privacy, and I and I just think that that's a really cool thing, like secret and shade i may invest in that even if i don't even you know it, it becomes less about the money i'm making on it or the bet like that it's, it's more about my beliefs and me, me trying to affect the world with my wallet yeah exactly yeah for sure i mean i like i used to um this is i don't know if anybody remembers like when patreon was quite big back in the day about five five ten years ago um and around the time when youtube sort of ramped up deplatforming various people um i would take you know like 50 50 dollars or something around there and support my top top five um alternative media sources on patreon just for that same reason right because I, I really valued the content that they was creating and i'd send i send it to them um just so that they that i knew that in some small way i would guarantee that the content that i valued would keep getting put out in the world um, but just just one one counterpoint to that, and I think we're getting to the point where we're going to wrap up here, guys. Just coming up to the two hour mark, so uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, but yeah, I think just on that, um, there's obviously a balancing act between idea what you want ideally and what is market efficient. And so, like when we mentioned the um, the more niche synthetics that could be created, like Big Mac indexes and all this other kind of stuff. You know, obviously, it's super inefficient for you to trade Big Macs physically, right? So if you want to do anything like that, it'd be more efficient to do that on a synth. And But there's also, so first, firstly, is like exposure to exotic stuff, which you really can't get physically. Um, so it's a more efficient way to do that. And then the second thing is just from like a, a 
a efficiency point of view in terms of orders. So, like, if you if you go on to uh, like Coinbase, you buy Bitcoin, and then you send that to a, a ledger wallet or however you want to store that Trezor, you know, however you want to store that properly. So you've you've gone in, you've affected the market, and then you've got the asset, like the actual asset. The problem is if you're if you just want to hold that short term, if you're day trading, it's really inefficient to do that process because the whole process probably take like 45 minutes and then you actually have it, which is great. But then if you want to sell it again in 15 minutes, there's, there's really no point in doing that. Whereas in that case, if you're a trader and you're trading you know, hundreds of positions a day, buying a synthetic then becomes a lot more appealing because you get, you know, you don't get settlement, but you get instant, at, you know, you get the price tracking instantly. And so that's... That's that's my opinion on it. So there's like a balance between efficiency and ideology, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so interested uh, for the uh, other guys here on the panel, if you had any closing remarks on real world assets or DAOs or real estate or any of the other things we've discussed today. These spaces are getting... Or Russia wants to. <laughs> These spaces are definitely getting more and more interesting each week. Um, yeah, shout out to Jack and I think Anna who helped organize um the kinetics team uh, organizing i think uh cryptocito helped with some organization of, of, of helping uh, uh introduce us to some of the guests um i think sean melch may have uh, supported so uh so yeah shout out to all you guys who are organizing this it's it's coming along nicely and i think like cryptocito said early this is a this is a great thing to have for for the cosmos ecosystem and I think one of the things he kind of alluded to which I, it seems really important is just because cosmos has had a lot of interesting factions and infighting and stuff I think transparency and getting people together uh communicating is great uh like today I saw you know Evmos and and Kava both on both doing uh similar things can be seen as competitors right doing uh, EVM in Cosmos, um, both using, you know, uh, like Ethermint stack and things like that. But having them on the same spaces is, is really cool. And having, you know, uh, Kinetics, uh, which does perps and then having, you know, other perps products, synthetics perps products and others on uh, to discuss these things is, is uh, we had also a API3 and Pith, two great uh Oracle providers, yeah, yeah, that is, it, it's a great point, man. Um, just the fact that these, so, these yeah, guys can come together. Can... Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I think there's a slight delay, rock. So just, uh, it was, uh, I had an alarm yeah, going off and it, it cut me off, and then okay. I, I couldn't hear. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, but the, you make a great point, right? The idea that you know uh, competitors in the marketplace can come to have productive discussions in the space is really good because what we really want from this space is to increase the level of education for people to come and listen to some things, get some new ideas, hear topics discussed that they don't know anything about. Like I learn things all the time on these spaces um, and it's really good to hear from some of the experts, some of the guys that have been in the trenches building this stuff. Like earlier when we heard from Siddharth from Comdex who originally was building a real world assets platform and then pivoted uh for various reasons like regulation to synthetics and now he's thinking of exploring real world assets again now the regulation's caught up that's really valuable insight to hear because as somebody that's been in this space for a while um you know you kind of see some of these things unfolding as you watch the protocols evolve but you don't always know the decision making that goes behind it so it's really interesting to hear that that kind of stuff and i think for um listeners 
in the Cosmos ecosystem or guys that are invested in IBC projects that are on this spaces now. Um, if you're community members, go back and speak to your communities and ask if they want to be part of Into the Cosmos, if they want to come on, if they, they want to share development updates from their projects, if they want to showcase some of the insights that they've got about these you know, really important topics. Reach out to your uh, community managers and word hopefully will filter up to somebody who can make that happen. And us on the space, myself, uh, Rock, and any of the other guys here, I'm sure if you reach out to them, you'll find your way to the right place and we'll be able to get you up as a speaker. Just as a side note as well, me and Sean had a call before before the spaces started um, and Sean's going to be supporting with some things going forward, which is pretty amazing. Um, Sean's a really good asset uh, in the networking space within IBC. He's been around a long time. He's very well known. Um, so I think that would be an amazing person to have on board helping produce the show. So shout out to you, Sean. Yeah, yeah thanks. Oh, go ahead, Melch. Go ahead. I was going to say thanks so much. And, and a big thanks to to Jack, Rock, and Kavan Kinetics that for creating that kind of environment. I think it's been lacking for a while, but Cosmos being that that IBC mentality, it's there. I think that we just kind of need somebody with a, a big engine like you guys to create the platform and then keep it consistent and then keep it consistently open. So uh, I, I'm excited to to keep it carrying forward with you guys. Yeah, Cosmos has an interesting. It's 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 one of the strengths and one of the the drawbacks is Cosmos because of the way it's built is super decentralized of an ecosystem. It really is. There's different teams working on different implementations and code bases and infrastructure for the for Cosmos itself. Then you have all of the different teams that are building all of the different chains and these chains, while they are like kind of can be seen as either a strong or loose coalition, like some of the chains maybe play with other chains more uh, diplomatically. Some of the chains, you know, they just love the tech. They're, they're less interested in the, the cosmos like community, I guess. And I think and, you know, that's a that's a positive and a negative in terms of like it brings decentralization but it it's not as coalescing sometimes as as i think maybe some other ecosystems maybe and i think having a space like this helps bring all those chains together has you know having a town hall makes these teams feel more uh aligned and and uh like kind of a coalesces the community a little more and gets different parties speaking to each other that may not normally speak to each other as they might see each other as competitors yeah and also it allows um people various different ideas about the way things should be done um to proliferate in the marketplace and people to listen to them and decide what they like uh, and that's really good right you know a lot of the time teams are busy and they don't have time to host their own spaces or they're worried if they host, then nobody will turn up because they've not got, you know, like 10 different uh, protocols that all want to come on as guests. Well, if if that's you, then join into the Cosmos um, and you can, you'll have time to share your ideas. We try to avoid shills, so no shills, but um, you can definitely come up and share your ideas. And if you're insightful, then people will follow your profile and then potentially go and use your platform as well. So yeah, it's a great launching pad like that. So thanks everybody for coming. Um, shout out to everybody rocking amazing NFT profile pictures in the audience. Saw some great bad kids earlier. Uh, and the mutant ape on JXR is pretty cool as well. So shout out. Uh, but yeah, everybody in the audience sees some really good ones. Um, so thanks for coming, everybody.
uh, and we'll see you guys next time. Oh, one side note as well. We may be taking this weekly soon. So at the moment, it's been roughly every two weeks. We're looking at maybe doing this as a weekly thing because of how popular it is, uh, which will allow us to more smoothly manage our guests because we, we always have too many guests for speaker slots at the start and it's a bit awkward. Um, so that, that might be something that we're looking at going forward. So, yeah, if you, if you want to see that, definitely retweet the space and, and give us a shout out because uh, that would be greatly appreciated and it lets us know that we're, we're doing the right thing. All right, guys, thank you for coming and speak to you next week. Thanks for making it happen, fellas. Thanks, everyone. And uh, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve. Mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works. And we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth. Sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless Trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets Dead ends dragging out the max amount of payments Red down days got them acting all bankless Yo fam, what? Check these token knocks They probing this bear, flexing broken knives I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting knives And then to end a long day, eleven bowls of chronic Never known the politic, I was born to frolic It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom over impossible loss, it's all moss and I'm liking the odds. Bond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds. Click the cap, yo, the road is highly involved. Flip a coin, diary falls. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve. Mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works. And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth. Sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lay Stacked and non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is way for keeps Clowns, white knight, and all these Maybelines They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your community All these low-hanging fruits Bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach Coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts And send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release When I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs We got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king You better have some of each Motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy Before they find themselves Working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt we rape and plunder the earth Say and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served